First part of session 91 of the law of one. Let's get here into the refinement of the cosmic mind. Let's begin. So this session is going to finally take a turn into the studying of the archetypical mind, but that's going to come later. We'll probably touch a little bit on it in this episode, but later on is where we're going to dive deep. I'm not sure if I'm going to cover this in two or three parts, but definitely more than one, uh, which has been the case for a while. Um, so. Yeah, here we're going to explore a little bit more of the the cosmic mind as it is refined. And I love this topic because, again, it lends itself to um, visualizing the way in which consciousness experiences itself through the infinity of possibilities, right? So uh, it's fascinating stuff as usual. Um, we have nothing to refresh from the last episode, so we can jump straight into the first question that I have here, which is the usual that I have been including uh, for a while also. And my slide is not working. Why is this not working? There it is. So the first question is done asking as usual, could you first please give me the condition of the instrument? Uh, Ross says it is as previously stated. So Carla is in pretty good conditions, actually. Uh, physical energy is always a bit low, but vital energies are well. So it seems like they hit a sweet spot so far and working with the several distortions that Carla had physically. So. It's a good sign. Question two, Don says, I have listed the different minds and would like to know if they are applied in this particular aspect. First, we have this cosmic mind, which is, I would think, the same for all sublogoi, like our sun. Is this correct? Ron says, this is correct. So, um, Let's let's get a little bit of an introduction to the cosmic mind and the refinements all the way to ourselves, which is what we're going to explore. Uh, in a nutshell, the cosmic mind is that portion of the creator which is experiencing itself. Now, the creator, we in, in the terminology that we use in the law of one, the way I perceive it is that the creator is that I, it, it's even difficult to say a portion of intelligent infinity, but let's just put it intelligent infinity in manifestation. That is the creator because it is creating, right? So intelligent infinity and the creator, one and the same thing, but different aspects, if you will. One is the unpotentiated intelligent infinity, and the other one is the the creator itself experiencing creation. So uh, the cosmic mind is that bias that the creator has to know itself. And so uh, the way I understand it again is that 
there is a desire to know itself in a particular way and that is due to the prior experiences of octavists that has had in uh, in the past if we can call that a past uh, but just in its desire to know itself and uh, Ra doesn't know much about that and of course neither do I <laughs> uh, but at least that's what we know so the cosmic mind is right now this creator experiencing itself through the different um, logo logos or logoi. Um, so Don is asking, okay, the different types of minds. Uh, we have first the cosmic mind, which is the same for all sublogoi. Now, one thing that is interesting here is that if you remember, there are two ways to create this uh, this taxonomy, as it were of the mind experiencing itself. Again, the cosmic mind. There is the grand central sun, which is not a physical, visible thing in the universe. The way I see it is that it is the, um, it is the background of the whole creation that gives rise to the different galaxies, right? So physically, we see galaxies. We don't see the grand central sun. However, Obviously, the Grand Central Sun exists, which you can call it even the Primordial Sun, the Big Bang, right? Because the Big Bang is just a, or supernova, for example, are a repetition of a Big Bang. It's just a small bang. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's how I see it. That's the Grand Central Sun. But it's not located anywhere. It is everywhere. That is the cosmic mind to me. Um... But you see, the way it manifests itself is through galaxies. And the galaxies are, you know, they have a center and then they spread out in different stars. And so that would be the, um, it, it, here's the difference in the taxonomy, like I said. Sometimes we call the grand central sun the logos, the one great logos. And then the galaxies are sub-logoi. Then the stars are sub-sub-logoi, and then us are sub-sub-sub-logoi, you see? But in other occasions, I see it as, um, and I see it written like this, or expressed like this, as the, the galaxies themselves being logoi. And then these logoi, which kind of makes sense, because these are the things that we see as the cosmic mind being refined, each galaxy refines the, the cosmic mind into uh, sub-logoi, in this case, stars. Um, and so it can be confusing when we go into different ways to, uh, to create a hierarchy of, of logoi. But all we care here is there is a cosmic mind in, represented in all galaxies. Right? That's what... Um, uh, Don is saying here. First, we have the cosmic mind, which is, I would think, the same for all sublogoi like our sun. So the cosmic mind obviously is the same for uh, everything. It's the the beginning of everything, but it is refined by each of the stars, and the cosmic mind is represented locally by different galaxies, and each galaxy has its own spread of of stars, and each one of them have. 
different refinements of the cosmic mind. So, Ra says this is correct, and then we move on to question three, where Don says, the sub-logos such as our sun, then, is creating its own particular evolution of experience, refines the cosmic mind, or shall we say, articulates, articulates it by its own additional bias or biases. Is this a correct observation? Ra says, it is a correct observation, with the one exception that concerns the use of the term addition, which suggests the concept of that which is more than the old mind. Instead, the archetypical mind is a refinement of the old mind in a pattern peculiar to the sublogos choosing. Okay, so the only correction that Ra gives to Don is that there is no addition. We're not adding anything to the cosmic mind. Uh, we are refining the cosmic mind for experience. And when I say we, I talk about even us, because we are sub sub logoi. And I'll stick with that uh, taxonomy. <laughs> um, it becomes too strange when we keep saying sub 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 logoi. Um, but it is a valid one, like I said. It depends on where you want to start. Do you want to start with the invisible Grand Central Sun, or do you want to start with the galaxies as representations of that Grand Central Sun, and so we call them logos. And then all of them are logoi, stars are sub-logoi, and then we are sub-sub-logoi. I find that a little bit more practical. So, cosmic mind represented by galaxies, uh, each galaxy has a spread of stars which refine the cosmic mind and then creates the uh, logoic mind, as I remember being called. Um, so, is this correct? We have this, this, and now we have done. Okay, so let's keep looking at the refinement of the cosmic mind. Don says, then the very next refinement that occurs as the cosmic mind is refined is what we call the archetypical mind. Is this correct? Ra says, yes. Now, recall that the archetypical mind is, let's say, created by the star. In this case, our sun has created the archetypical mind, which we enjoy right now. That is the structure in which the mind, remember the cosmic mind, is refined into um, the particular uh, desires of the sublogos, which in this case is the sun, and the sun is refining that into another particular way of experiencing, which is the archetypical mind. Um, I think the way I have seen it expressed in, uh, in full is the cosmic mind or the all mind then the logoic mind, then the archetypical mind, and then we go into planetary, racial, and all that stuff, which we're going to get into now. So again, the archetypical mind being that part that is the structure for experience to happen. The archetypical mind is where we first have experience as entities. Uh, stars are not entities in and of themselves because in the vocabulary of the Law of One, they're not experiencing evolution. And that's the key thing uh, of, it's actually not totally true, but 
um, they're not part of experience they're not experiencing per se although it's um, it gets a little paradoxical because we are not different than the sun so we are the sun experiencing itself in the mind body spirit complex it's it's complicated if we want to use terminology that is fixed so we have to be a little bit more uh, malleable with this understanding just to know that yes <laughs> in essence we are the sun i mean even um physically we know that we are the energy of the sun we go back to the solar disk right that refine itself into planets i'm talking about regular astrophysics here not metaphysics or spirituality the planetary disk owes its existence to the sun in fact the planets are the sun it was just one cloud of gas that concentrated was the sun or created the sun 99 percent of matter or energy was created as the sun and then the rest of the planets kuiper belt and Oort cloud and so on uh, all of these things are the sun they're still the sun. So anything that has been evolving on planet Earth is a recycling of the same energy or matter, which is the sun, uh, which gets into fascinating and beautiful metaphysics if I can, uh, if I wanted to do it, because it's, it's the energy of the sun that is energizing the sun, the, the planet, and then the planet, it's like fertilizing the planet with consciousness and so on. It's beautiful. Uh, but that's what we get, you see, and in this refinement, then we see that life arises and lo and behold, I am the sun experiencing itself through this limited experience, which is impermanent. It's just going to change and die and re being reborn and so on. So, yeah, I don't know why I got so sidetracked, but it was, it was good to do it. <laughs> so let's move to the next question. The archetypical mind, that's why I got sidetracked. Don says in question five, this then creates, I would assume, the planetary or racial mind. Is this correct? Ra says, no. Don says, what is the origin of a planetary or racial mind? And here's where it gets really interesting. Ra says, this racial or planetary mind is, for this logos, a repository of biases remembered by the mind-body-spirit complexes which have enjoyed the experience of this planetary influence. So, you see, there is no... Um, here's where free will starts to enact itself through the veil, right? So, so far, there has been free will of exploration through, you know, the cosmic mind, basically said to all galaxies as a representation of the grand central sun, the cosmic mind, say, do what you will. I mean, it didn't say like it's a different thing, you know, two entities. <laughs> it just said, I will do what I will in each of these centers or logoi, which are the galaxies. And so down the line, it went to refine itself for experience. But due to the veil, or the veiling process, what we have is that now free will is attributed to the to the entity, and that extension of free will, which has been explained in the veiling process, is where we begin to have specific biases, you know, into 
you know, who we are and what we want and how we see things and how we share things and so on. So this starts creating the experience of third density. You see, a very vivid experience of selfhood. I feel like I am something and I don't know what I am because post-veil, I can see my origin, I can see my source. So uh, Ra says that the racial, racial or planetary mind, which um, they're both in the same according to Ra, for this logos, the sun, is a repository of biases remembered by every mind-body-spirit complex, each one of us, which have enjoyed the experience of this planetary influence, which is their density. So it's not something planned. It's not something that is, okay, we're going to enjoy uh, this type of planetary mind. This is the evolving mind. You see, this is what, um, this is the sun, not S-U-N, but S-O-N, uh, or the daughter, you know, the, the offspring of free will that needs to evolve, that needs to go back to the father or the mother or progenitor, whatever you want to call it, uh, which is God itself, the creator, intelligent infinity. And so that is the evolving part of the creation. That is the evolving part of the self or... Uh, the, the creator itself. That's why we are co-creators. We're going to explore this a bit more in the next question. Then there's going to be a little bit of an interference and we'll get to that. Let's see what the next question is. Don's asking question seven. Now, some entities on this planet evolved through second density into third and some were transferred from other planets to recycle in third density here. Did the ones who were transferred here to recycle in third density add to the planetary or racial mind? That's an excellent question. Ross says, not only did each race add to the planetary mind, but also each race possesses a racial mind. Thus, we made this distinction in discussing this portion of mind. This portion of mind is formed in the series of seemingly non-simultaneous experiences which are chosen in freedom of will by the mind-body-spirit complexes of the planetary influence. Therefore, although this Akashic planetary or racial mind is indeed a root of mind, it may be seen in sharp differentiation from the deeper roots of mind, which are not a function of altering memory, if you will. So very heavy here um, and this is all we got for this for this answer actually because then there is the interference which we're going to talk about briefly and then we'll move on to the next questions um, okay so a bit of background to this question when Don refers to entities evolving from second to third density He's talking about the evolution of native uh, life on Earth. That means that the minds, the mind bodies, mind body complexes that existed in second density, which were developing self-consciousness, self-awareness, and thus allowing themselves to graduate to third density, these are, let's call them natives, right? Uh, they brought their own biases, they developed their own biases, and they had their own line of evolution. Right, so theirs was the 
um, let's say the privilege, the prerogative to evolve through uh, planet Earth. However, because of interventions of the Confederation, as explained by Ra, some other souls, if you will, were transferred from Mars and Maldic. Um, this created a quarantine because this was considered an infringement of free will. Infringement of whose free will? Of the natives here, who instead of just be left alone, they were mixed. And so here's where the origin, which a lot of people have been talking about uh, over decades already, perhaps, I don't know, centuries, but definitely more in the... Uh, it's a little bit sensationalist when it's expressed this way, when they say that planet Earth is an experiment. Planet Earth has been an experiment by aliens. So it's a little bit more sophisticated to see it this way. I mean, I'm sure that some people prefer to see it as, no, 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 there are aliens who have come here and they have tinkered with our DNA and they have made changes. And so uh, they made us inferior so they can dominate us. This is all, I guess, uh, a sort of way to see it, uh, if people want to see it that way. I tend to lend more credence to the elegant way that is presented in The Law of One, which all of it is true, but who are the aliens? We're talking about higher intelligence. Did they interfere? Yes, they did. Uh, did they want to dominate us? And not really, uh, unless we're talking about Orion Group. So this is why maintaining a cosmology that is cohesive with itself is important and I find it to be very pleasant personally uh, to follow a specific philosophy or cosmology like I said that contains everything within itself and that's the explanation you can see that there was a an infringement on free will and that was to transfer these um, uh, these entities because there's so much and I'm quite aware of the neurosis that sometimes arises in people when they hear this this is the victimhood mentality to say oh I am a victim I am a product of uh, experimentation by aliens it is not experimentation as we think you know the mad scientist <laughs> the mad alien scientist uh, this is not coherent with free will and it doesn't uh, um, stand against the knowledge of self as creator. It doesn't make sense. But it is, of course, an introductory way to approach these mysteries as to how humanity has been created and evolved uh, in a certain way. So there are nuggets of truth here, uh, but I would invite people to be uh, more uh, more profound with their research and how they want to create their worldview because at the end it's all about the worldview do you find yourself pushed by the universe or do you find yourself the creator of the universe uh, that's going to dictate how you live your life your emotions and uh, the way you treat others and yourself so i find it much more congruent to see it this way because it is cohesive with everything that we find in the mystical um, path, which is the realization that who you fundamentally are is the very essence of the universe.
Otherwise, we're getting into victimhood mentality, and I do not promote that. I actually try to shave it off everything and anything specifically in this material, which is uh, metaphysical and aliens and uh, all of this stuff uh, is, is promulgated, if you will, also by people who studied the law of one, which I find to be limited and I would make my own refinement whenever I can. So, Ra explains, not only did each race add to the planetary mind, but also each ray possesses a racial mind. So we're talking about here, Maldic, Mars, and after a while, for some reason, we started welcoming other second density uh, graduates, if you will. I remember some from Deneb, the star Deneb, they were transferred here because they decided to have their third density experience here. Much like dual activated bodies, which are graduates from third density now, are coming at this time of the cycle to enjoy the early stages of fourth density uh, cycle. So something similar has been happening. Now, what is relevant here is that this, um, this coming of different planetary races, right? Um, Maldic, Mars, Deneb, for example, all of them have come in here and um, they have mixed themselves with the natives. So keep that in mind because we're gonna keep exploring this. So all right, they say, that's why we made the distinction in discussing this portion of mine. So they wanted to make that distinction of saying, okay, so there is the race, Mars race, Maldic race, Earth race, Deneb race, all of these are races that came here and they started to get mixed with the planetary mind. And that's why they also call it racial mind, which I think it's a little bit misleading. I would call racial mind that to make a distinction, but it is true that once you're in the planet, you are humans. It doesn't matter if you were from Mars, from the Pleiades, from Sirius, or from uh, Venus, uh, Maldic, whatever it is that you feel that you are from, you're human. And I've been emphasizing this whenever I can to eliminate the possibility of labeling ourselves, identities. Oh, somebody told me that I am from such and such a place. Well, it doesn't matter where you're from, you're human and that is even more powerful than your origin. You're much more being human. Let me say that. You are much more being human than what you were before because what you were before didn't include being human. And now human is another trait, another characteristic, another beauty, another petal in your um, sahasrara, if you want, your crown chakra, another petal to be experienced. It's add to the, your experience, don't take out from it. It's my advice. Then they say, this portion of mind is formed in the series of seemingly non-simultaneous experiences which are chosen in freedom of will by the mind-body-spirit complexes of the planetary influence. Okay, so this portion of mind, um, the planetary mind, is formed by non, uh, it's non-linear time, you see. We think that we are a product of linear time, but what we really are is a product of the simultaneity that exists in all of creation. For example, you are an expression of the Big Bang, believe it or not. You ever thought about that? No. Well, think about it. You're an expression of all apes, of all animals that have existed. You're an expression of the whole universe. But the whole universe is so 
obviously uh, vast or obviously infinite in potential that it needs to express itself in the most minute form which is you and the more minute it is the better the experience right the more you try to take over then the less the experience the the, the lesser intensity of the experience it is Ra has talked about this about um, how the densities the higher the densities the more uh, pale the experience is in any case Ra says therefore although this Akashic planetary or racial mind uh, is indeed a root of mind it may be seen in sharp differentiation from deeper roots of mind which are not a function of altering memory so here's an important one uh, see it's it's I can see why they yeah th this explains it better the reason why they use synonymously planetary racial and Akashic mind um, I would think that Akashic and planetary are fine but racial mind it's a bit it requires a little bit more refinement for us because we say hold on there is racial and then there's planetary yes but once the race has been included within the planet it becomes part of the planetary mind let me give you an example of this that Ra explained here and I think this comes later I don't know if we're co we cover it already um, the influence of Mars because Mars has I think uh, 25 hour days or something like that uh, that that small influence on on the mind in Mars has made an impact in um, circadian rhythms here on on humans so that's already mixed you know some people feel it more than others they feel that their days are 24 25 hours or so uh, I forget what the exact time is but yeah they, they, there's a, a feeling you see that that's included here in in humans so it's all mixed however we can say that the origin of that is from the planetary mind we should call it race it was a planetary mind in Mars but now when transfer here is a race uh, I hope that makes sense um, all planets are have their planetary mind uh, but if they come and they include themselves here for the experience of their density my understanding is that it becomes a racial mind that is influencing now this planetary mind on earth it's so messy but I hope you can see it okay now the next thing they say is that uh, these this mind is indeed a root of mind because it is part of our of ourselves we can say oh those of mars those are maldic that are here that are, they're still so belligerent and um, conflicting they are the, the the cancer of this you're talking about yourself <laughs> so now you have to accept that you see the fact that you came as a wanderer from another planet doesn't mean that Oh, you know, I'm just here to alleviate the uh, the planet's frequency. I don't want to do anything. I don't have to do anything with Mars and Maldic and so on. You have to accept that. That's part of you already. Um, 
and it has always been part of you. It's just that you're you're experiencing it a different way from a different angle. So yes, it is indeed a root of mind. Uh, it may be seen in sharp differentiation from the deeper roots of mind, which basically do not have a function of altering memory because memory is part of this moving mind that is changing this evolving mind. Whereas there are parts of the roots of mind which are not properly this, um, they're not part of the changing phenomena that is occurring in the mind right now, right? They're just roots of mind that inform intelligently the experience, the changing experience of the mind, you see? So uh, we can differentiate that. I love that Ra mentions this because uh, although ultimately the whole mind is changing, you know, it's evolving universally, cosmic, in, in a cosmic scale, um, what we experience is, is there is a differentiation between this planetary mind, which is evolving and changing, uh, I would say perhaps more rapidly and visibly than those roots of the mind that are informing how these changes can be beneficial for evolution. I hope that makes sense. So yeah, this is, this is all the different roots of the mind and the refinement of this cosmic mind as it experiences itself. Very deep metaphysics. So there was an issue here and Ra says, we must ask your patience at this time. This channel has become somewhat unclear due to the movement of the cover which touches this instrument. We ask that the opening sentences be repeated and the breath expelled. And so it is indicated here that the microphones attached to the cover upon the instrument were pulled slightly as a rug was being placed over a noisy tape recorder. The circle of one was walked, breath was expelled two feet above the instrument's head from her right to her left, and the circle of one was walked again as requested. Then Ra says, I am Ra, we communicate now. This was all part of the, the events that were unfolding during the session. So Don says in question eight, were we successful in reestablishing clear contacts? says there was the misstep which then needed to be repeated or re-repeated. This was done. The communication is once again clear. We enjoy the humorous aspects of the necessary repetitions. <laughs> so um, I read here that Ra, you know, <laughs> in a way they're saying uh, it's pretty funny that he had to repeat the steps <laughs> in essence. We enjoy the humorous aspects of the necessary repetitions. Uh, so that's just then being, you know, funny, saying, ha you had to repeat it again. That was funny. Um, it's a good reminder to add humor to everything that you do. Uh, everything that is in your life, just don't forget humor. It's not malicious humor, but just, you know, just candid humor, I guess. Uh, just childish stuff. Let's read. Let's read. Let's uh, let's laugh. <laughs> um, so yeah, don't forget to laugh. Very healthy. Next question. Now that the contact has been reestablished. Question nine. Don wants to know what occurred when the microphone 
chords were slightly moved. Ross says, the link between the instrument's mind-body-spirit complex and its yellow ray chemical-physical vehicle was jarred. This caused more maladjustment. Uh, I correct myself. This caused some maladjustment of the organ you call the lungs. And in the repair, if the repair had not been done, would have resulted in a distorted physical complex condition of this portion of the instrument's physical vehicle. So, um, the link between the instrument's mind-body-spirit complex and her body. So, what's the difference between mind-body-spirit complex and the yellow ray chemical physical vehicle of Carla? Well, this third density vehicle is the way in which it includes the brain, of course. It's the whole decoding vehicle or uh, software, hardware, actually. It's the hardware um, in which the specific mind-body-spirit complex, which is what I sometimes call the window, the window of awareness. All windows are different. They're tinted in different ways, different colors, like fractals that awareness can pierce through and say, oh, I am Carla and I have these tendencies and I like this and I like that. See, the one awareness, the one and infinite creator can see through this glass, this window and experience itself as Carla. Well, that uh, hardware, that vehicle, that's the yellow ray chemical physical vehicle. The mind-body-spirit complex is the combination of all biases, uh, of all tendencies, of all likes and dislikes, and uh, yeah, it's what creates the the individuality of the of the person. You see, so that individuality is what is what wasn't present during contact. That's why Ra could communicate without Carla remembering anything because her mind or mind-body-spirit complex was not present. So you can see the, the distinction here between a physical vehicle, this physical vehicle will die. It's almost like saying your computer can fry itself, you can destroy it, but if all your information obviously is on the cloud, then and it, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit misleading, this analogy, because you're gonna ask, of course, what happens to my hard, my hard drive, the information on my hard drive? Well, let's put it this way. The information on the hard drive is always irrelevant. Uh, imagine that actually instead of a hard drive, there is just... Uh, <laughs> then you're going to ask, what happens if the servers are damaged? The analogy has limitations. Okay. <laughs> I am aware of that. Uh, but imagine that there is no hard drive. That The RAM in your computer is what you believe. That's the ego. You see, what I have loaded here is what I am. No. The RAM of the computer is always empty at the end of a session. That's what happens when you go to sleep or when you turn off your computer. But let's imagine that all your information is in this um, cloud that doesn't have any um, weaknesses. You know, it's, it's permanent. All information there is permanent. That's the kind of thing that's happening. That's the physical vehicle. And then the particular information that is distilled into this particular computer, you can log into another computer later on and then you can say, oh, I, I reincarnated. 
You see? <laughs> oh, I can play with analogies all day long. They have their limitations, though, and I know questions will arise. Uh, but that's what's happening. So the information or the tendencies of information, right, that are uh, desired by this specific window, they're channeled into the body. Now, uh, because of the, I guess, the configuration of the blanket, or I think it was the, the recorded itself, uh, it was causing some issues or maladjustment with her lungs somehow. And if they didn't fix that, it would have caused some sort of damage to her lungs somehow. Uh, which Don gets, of course, interested and asks, what kind of distortion? Ra says, the degree of distortion would depend upon the amount of neglect. The ultimate penalty, shall we say, for the disturbing of the physical vehicle is the death. In this case, by what you would call the congestive heart failure. As the support group was prompt, there should be little or no distortion experienced by the instrument. Now we're going to explain why this could happen. Um, and I, I think I have my speculation. Once we read it, I'll, I'll see if I can share it with you. But yeah, in essence, uh, this, this which we're going to describe can actually cause death. And this is, um, this gets, in, gets into the silver cord which is something that we describe as the, the tether in which our mind-body-spirit complex is connected to the physical body. And there's a whole metaphysical explanation here that is uh, not relevant really for the explanation of this, nor am I capacitated, I would say, to explain that. But I could only play with the idea. So again, Don gets interested and says, why does such a very minor effect, like the slight movement of the microphone cord, result in this situation? Not mechanically or chemically, but philosophically, if you can answer this question. <laughs> and for the first time, Ross says, we can only answer mechanically, <laughs> as there is no philosophy to the reflexes of the physical vehicular function. Now you'll see why they, they say this. They're going to explain the mechanics of this um, silver cord as it pertains to this particular situation. Ra says, there is what you might call the silver cord reflex. That is, when the mind-body-spirit complex dwells without the environs of the physical shell and the physical shell is disturbed, the physical shell will reflexively call back the absent enlivener. That is, the mind-body-spirit complex which is connected with what you may metaphysically seen with mind. Uh, let me repeat that. Let's go back to, that is the mind-body-spirit complex, which is connected with what may be metaphysically seen as what some of your philosophers have called the silver cord. So, I guess quick comment. I'm going to finish reading what Ra says because that's important. Uh, but quick comment here. There are ways in which this silver cord is um, is perceived, I would say, uh, 
right now for example I would think that you know there is no distinction between silver cord and me because I am already here completely but if I were to do any experience of astral projection or some um, some other type of trends that would make my mind body spirit complex to experience itself without my body and still I am incarnated then you know there is this silver cord functionality or um, yeah you're tethered to your body still so you can experience other things so that's what they're talking about here um, when the mind body spirit complex dwells without the environs that means outside of not without the uh, the environment but outside of the physical shell right that's let's let's use astral projection it could be I'll give another example in a bit um, but yeah astral projection you're doing that the physical shell the body uh, if it's disturbed it will call back the absent enlivener that's a beautiful way to put it, right? The absent, he who is not here or she who is not here, that enlivens this body. Right? This body is nothing without the mind-body-spirit complex. It'll die easily. So that's why there is a risk of death. Because if it's not there, if it snaps back or something happens that affects the physical body, there are a couple of ways that this will happen. Uh, let me give you an example which you should be familiar because you have been studying the law of one around session 67 or so um, Carla had the experience of almost leaving her body because the negative entity that was seducing her to the negative side if she would have left or the mind body spirit complex which is really the enlivener the absent enlivener of the body if she would have left or that would have left and the body would have died and we would say Carla died um, so that's another way to see it and you see when when the physical body is disturbed and you're in that state then this can happen you know a um, a shocking experience may happen which can affect the body and so Ra says the mind body spirit complex plunk yeah I can read the mind body spirit complex which is connected with what may be metaphysically seen as uh, what some of your philosophers have called a silver cord so um, it can it can be um, be an accident of, of this this type of exploration now what else does Ross say if this is done suddenly the mind body spirit complex will attempt entry into the energy web of the physical vehicle without due care and the effect is as if one were to stretch one of your elastic bands and let it shrink rapidly the resulting snap would strike hard at the anchor portion of the elastic band my belief is that that anchor portion of the elastic band oh, I don't have my band here I have a very small one but you get the idea so if you stretch an elastic band and let it go then it's going to snap that letting go it's going to hit the anchor point which is your finger and that impact is in the body that anchor point is the body um, 
So that's the problem, you see, that silver cord, you can see it as an elastic band. You know, you go into these um, trans state or astral projection or something like that. And if, um, if this is not careful, then when the body calls back the mind-body-spirit complex, then it can snap back really fast. Now, the example that I remember is uh, sleepwalkers. Right? Somebody has said, don't disturb him. You know, don't shake him, don't uh, scare them because something's happening there. I don't think this is full you know, um, detachment of mind-body-spirit complex, but something is happening there, right? And it is advised that you don't disturb them, that you just go along with them, whatever they're saying, yes, you, know, you treat them as if nothing, nothing's wrong. Uh, and yet they won't remember anything. You see, but something, something's happening there. And, you know, when you wake up somebody too, or somebody's having a dream or something like that, also don't disturb me. You can, you can feel these snappings. It's not terrible. It's not a big problem. And that's why I wouldn't be scared. You know, this sounds scary. Am I supposed to do astral projections? Uh, yeah, well, that's up to you if you want to do it. Um, I wouldn't be scared. I would probably add more to um to the problem <laughs> uh but certainly you know there is that risk and you know information is information um how you use it that that depends on you but that's what's happening there's something else that ross says here they say the process through which you as a group go in recalling this instrument could be likened onto taking this elastic and gently lessening its degree of tension until it was without perceptible stretch. Right, so that makes a lot of sense. You know, when you call back, well, when they were calling back Carla, because remember, Carla wasn't there. And so when they were, when Ra left, and then her mind-body-spirit complex would uh, approach her body, it would be like lessening that tension of the elastic band until when she woke up, it was like, you know, nothing had happened, nothing sudden happened. She just woke up after a blank state, and that's what she described, actually. She would get into trance and then immediately, in her experience, wake up. There was nothing, there was no dreaming, there was no no activity. It's just fully dormant. Um, so yeah, that's the, the whole, that's the whole stretch of the cord, <laughs> the silver cord. Let's go to the next question. Don says, question 12, to get back to what we were talking about, would then possibly different races that inhabit this planet be from different planets in our local vicinity or the planets of nearby Logoi that have evolved through their second density experiences to create the large number of different races that we experience on this planet? Is this correct? Uh, good question, going back to the races and where the origin of this whole planetary mind is. Ra says, there are correctnesses to your supposition. However, not all races and sub-races are of various planetary origins. We suggest that in looking at planetary origins, one observes not the pigmentation of the integument, the skin, but the biases concerning interactions with other selves and definitions regarding the nature of self or of the self. 
So Don's question, I think uh, Don intended to ask something different, but Ra answered that. Um, right? He's saying, is it possible um, that the different races that inhabit this planet could be from different planets in our local vicinity or the planets of nearby Logoi? So Mars, Maldic, Deneb is of the vicinity, so to speak. Um, that have evolved through their second density experiences to create a large number of different races that we experience on this planet. Oh, well, it seems like Don's idea of race was um, attached to what we call races here, which is, I don't know, Asian, um, black, white. Uh, I. I don't like the idea of calling Hispanic a race and that an ethnicity. It gets confusing, especially here in the United States. is kind of confusing. Uh, Latino, Hispanic, there's so many different things. So, um, yeah, I, I think Ra is being very uh, prudent by saying, don't confuse race, like planetary or racial mind, uh, with races that have to do with evolution of the body that makes absolute no sense right i would think though that the tribes the initial tribes they were sort of um i don't think i mean it could have been like different tribes with the same body uh, complex I, I mean the way they looked but the different tribes definitely had uh, a planetary origin so for example i believe that all of those in mars they were close to each other, whatever they were in planet Earth at that time. Uh, Africa might have been uh, the same as, you know, those who evolved here. And that's what caused some sort of tribal war, uh, which again, I would think that this added to what we discussed in the prior session, session 90, when we talk about the belligerence of... Um, or the bellicosity of the uh, of humans. Yeah, you know, having these different races, as Ra says, um, these are biases concerning interactions with other selves and definitions regarding the nature of the self. So there are biases as to how, say, the Martian people looked at themselves and other selves there were biases onto the the ways in which the natives here saw each other as well and others so it's um it's an interesting dive into all these different um biases that were brought in and mixed with uh the people that started the mind-body-spirit complexes that started experiencing themselves in this planet. Very interesting, huh? <clears throat> so those are the races and sub-races um, that, that have been here. And of course, again, like I said, I don't know how many other planetary influences we've had, but apparently several, dozens of them, it seems. Which is, again, now it's even more because we're bringing dual activated bodies let's call it people who have graduated from third density are coming here to early fourth density experience so 
but this is different now because they're bringing they're not bringing their third density um, low third density biases as was the case uh, a long time ago they're bringing their fourth density biases which is helping the planet um, so yeah the tendency is now to be a little bit more compassionate and loving and we can see that in our society you know it's shifting uh, newer generations or younger generations are a little bit more sensitive uh, which is a good thing and yes it's uh, it's bringing things that are going to alleviate the planetary vibration let's explore more questions i think we can navigate more and leave close to the archetypical mind for our next episode question 13 don says how many different planets have supplied the individuals that now inhabit this planet in this third density ra doesn't want to talk about this <laughs> and says this is perceived by us to be unimportant information but harmless okay we'll talk about it there are three major planetary influences upon your planetary sphere besides those of your own second density derivation and 13 minor planetary groups in addition to the above so yeah there it is uh at least a couple dozen <laughs> um yeah so this i wish we knew more about these um the three what are the three major planetary influences i know mars and maldic of course those are aside from our second density derivation which is our natives here on planet earth there are three mars maldic and i can't think of the other uh, might have been something from another planet i don't think you know wanderers are wanderers are not a major influence meaning racially no they're just here as outsiders <laughs> um deneb maybe i remember them talking about deneb like a, a huge harvest not a huge harvest they didn't say a huge harvest but a harvest of second density entities from deneb instead of experiencing third density there they came here I think their planet was not ready for third density, I think. So I I think the third one is Deneb. So I would call this Maldic, Mars, and Deneb as the influences that we have. And then 13 minor planetary groups. Now we can probably call these minor planetary groups the Pleiades and Sirius and maybe, I don't know. I'm not a scholar in this. Some people have more knowledge than I do, but I've heard this, you know, that there are other planetary influences that there's a lot of them you know and um, we're beginning to see them as people resonate with them I have to say that I have never felt any connection with anything <laughs> so I don't know I may be a native I may be from Mars Maldic uh, from whatever I have no idea no do I care to find out um, it it became very apparent in my my own path that this was irrelevant information it doesn't matter where you come from it's who you are right now and fundamentally that's really what caught my attention and i said uh everything else i don't care <laughs> i care about the most important thing which is how is it that i am the creator Let, let's let's find that out because then it doesn't matter where i come from i am everything oh, that's such a relaxing and liberating thing whereas i have seen some um some strong identification with 
certain groups and identities, spiritual identities, which, I don't know, I guess is fun for some people and it's fine, I guess, but it was never something for me. But to each their own. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Um, it's just that personally, I never felt like looking at that just didn't make sense to me. More questions before we finish. I know we can do this. These are short questions, I think. Question 14, Don says, thank you. One more question before we start on the specific questions with respect to archetypes. Do all Logoi evolving after the veil have 22 archetypes? Ra says, no. Don says in question 15, is it common for Logoi to have 22 archetypes or is this relatively unique with respect to our logos? Ra says, the system of sevens is the most articulated system yet discovered by any experiment, by any logos in our octave. Wow. And then Don says, what is the largest number of archetypes to Ra's knowledge used by a logos? Ra says, the seven plus the choice is the greatest number which has been used by our knowledge by Logoi. It is the result of many, many previous experiments in articulation of the one creator. And finally, question 17, Don says, I assume then that 22 is the greatest number of archetypes. I'll also ask, what is the minimum number presently in use by any logos to Ra's knowledge? And Ra says, the fewest are the two systems of five which are completing the cycles of, uh, or densities of experience. They say, you must grasp the idea that the archetypes were not developed at once, but step by step, and not in order, as you know, the order at this space time, but in various orders. Therefore, the two systems of fives were using two separate ways of viewing the archetypical nature of all experience. Each, of course, used the matrix, the potentiator and the significator, for this is the harvest with which our creation began. Lastly, we say, one way or system of experimentation had added to these catalysts, the catalyst and experience. Another system, if you will, had added catalyst and transformation. In one case, the methods whereby experience was processed was further aided, but the fruits of experience less aided. In the second case, the opposite may be seen to be the case. So, I flew through the questions, but I'll go back to them just to put more context into what we were um, reading just now. So, archetypes. We have 22 archetypes as we have explored already. And this, um, this prompted Don to say, um, do all Logoi have 22 archetypes after the veil? Uh, this wouldn't make sense because there are other experiences which Don quickly was able to uh, to throw in the conversation. But there are other Logoi which have been experienced experiencing uh, prior to Veil, and so they had to continue with that, right? So that, that was the archetypical mind that they developed back then. Um, so, or maybe this is all after the Veil. The thing is that Ra says no, there is no 22 archetypes for everybody. Um, is it common to have 22? 
or is it unique uh, to this to this logos? Then Ron says the system of sevens, which is our systems. We have three systems of or three cycles of seven, right? Uh, mind, body, and spirit. They're all seven archetypes. This is the most articulated system yet discovered by any experiment, by any logos in our octave. So we are cutting edge right here with the 22 archetypes. Then Don says, what is the largest number of archetypes to Ra's knowledge? And again, they say the sevens plus the choice is the greatest number. This, the cutting edge archetypical mind that we have. Um, it is the result of many, many previous experiments in articulation of the one creator. And so, um, what are the, uh, what do they say, the greatest? Okay, but what is the minimum number presently in use? So, in our octave of experience, what is the minimum? And Ra says, the two systems of five which are completing the cycles of densities. So there are two systems of fives, should be plural, I think, right? Two systems of five or fives, I don't know. Uh, these are uh, matrix, potentiator and significator, that's three. And then they added, as I read it, right? I don't think I have studied this long enough, but um, each of course use Let's reread this. Okay, so you have to grasp the idea that the archetypes were not developed at once, but step by step, and not in order, as you know the order right now, like we know it, matrix, potentiator, catalyst, experience, significator, transformation, great way. It wasn't developed like that, but it, in different orders. So the two systems of fives were using two separate ways of viewing the archetypical nature of all experience. Now, let's, let's explore this. They say each, of course, use the matrix, potentiator and significator. That's the base. That's the, what the harvest of the prior uh, octave was. We had matrix, potentiator and significator. But they added, right? One way or system of experimentation had added to these catalysts and experience. So there was no transformation in great way. Um, I don't know how that worked. I'm not, my imagination doesn't run that high. <laughs> the other one added catalyst and transformation. So no experience in great way. Interesting, huh? Uh, in one case, the methods whereby experience was processed was further aided, but the fruits of experience less aided. In one case, the methods whereby experience was processed uh, was further aided, but the fruits of experience less aided. In the second case, the opposite may be seen to be the case. So it was catalyst and experience, and then catalyst and transformation, right? So that made sense. Um, wow, yeah, there's something to, to study here to see if we want to, right? In one case, the methods whereby experience was processed was further aided. So I guess this is the first system of fives, which included catalyst and experience. I guess um, the fruits of experience less aided because transformation was not. Transformation is the fruits of experience, I think. That's what I see. Um, so 
Yes. This may be seen to be the case. I, that makes sense to me. In the first system of fives, catalyst and experience. Um, catalyst and experience, that creator. Uh, it was processed well, but the fruits of experience less aided. In the second case, the opposite. So uh, processing experience was not easy, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but transformation was. So that was the fruits of the experience. It's kind of interesting. I don't know. Maybe we didn't have those archetypes and I, I just can't imagine an experience like that. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's all I got uh, for this. <laughs> I, again, I know this could be super exciting for somebody who is studying the archetypical mind. Um, but yeah, my own uh, neophyte depths uh, or shallow understandings of the archetypical mind just makes me wonder. Conclusions. Well, um, I guess I'll go with the exploration of the archetypical minds. Um, that will come next uh, in the next episode, but we went to the roots of mind right and in the roots of the mind we we saw that we have our individual minds right that's the conscious mind that's what we we are concerned with we are directing most of our energy to this conscious mind that's the one for experience when we begin the spiritual path then we start going deeper into the roots of the mind so we find more information, there's a higher intelligence there, and we start to live more from these roots of mind as opposed to the ego construct that we, we have been indoctrinated to believe that we are. So the more we get into living, knowing, or acknowledging actually, acknowledging that there exists a higher knowledge, a higher wisdom, a higher intelligence within you, and this starts to uh, pave the road for harmony and for equanimity. And this is my suggestion in this conclusion is to, to go deep into those studies of the unconscious mind and the, the, the beauty of who you are fundamentally as opposed to what you have been believing so far. It's the same advice of every time I can just to go deep into yourself to to explore that which is more you than what you think you are uh, the prerequisite for this of course is always meditation and learning to meditate from this um, detached uh, compassionate indifferent self is perhaps the most productive thing I have ever found in my experience and this corresponds to all the mystical traditions that invite us to in essence disidentify with the mind to realize our true potential and to allow this true potential to be this is what Ra, what Ra calls crystallizing the self it's just um, polishing this crystal that we are from the taints let's say of the ego from the um, uh, yeah the the tarnishing 
of the crystal from the ego. And that's all we can do to allow the creator to express itself. And we are just a channel, our instrument for it. That's all I got for today. I hope you're well, wherever you are. Um, again, I will invite you if you are enjoying these videos and this series so far, which I'll continue to do even past session 106, which is the final one in some sporadic videos that I will continue to talk about the law of one. If you like this, please consider supporting me on Patreon. It is the easiest way you can support my work. And if you're interested, of course, in more of what I do, you can find links in the description. But that support on Patreon would be, of course, uh, very helpful. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you by simply just watching or listening to this. Take care, whatever you are. Good day, good night. And I'll see you in part two of session 91.